Well, now, what about it, Mr. Goldsmith? You want to cooperate, or do you want your neck broken? We already have an authority. We've had him for better than 10 years. What is all this? Poison. It's contaminated food. Who says so? The old man in the cave. The uh, old man in the cave. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. Welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. Hey guys, it's Terry here. And we hope that you guys got your uh, your Black Friday, Cyber Monday shopping done and got your own Talking Tina after we talked about uh, how wonderful of a doll it is with the last episode, Living Doll. Yeah, uh, I, I might want to keep an eye on that thing though, you know. <laughs> I mean, I just say be nice to it, feed it mashed potatoes, and don't throw it against walls. And you're probably got a friend for life. That's just my guess. I guess that's fair. You know, don't do that to any toys because you look like a homicidal maniac. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, uh, that, yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed our discussion about living doll. Uh, before we get into uh, season five, episode seven, the old man, the cave, Terry, I have, I have some breaking news. I know we don't normally do news here, but I have, I have a news story I need to share with you. Uh, all right. Let's, let's hear it. I just got, I got to find a, a news noise here. What about this one? Mm. All right. Breaking news. Uh, the, the, the Nickelodeon series, are you afraid of the dark is now all of it's now streaming on CBS all access. So all seven seasons, uh, which I mean, it was actually Canadian produced show. Uh, the first five were on, uh, snick snick at night. And then, um, uh, the last two seasons were in Canada, but all seven are now part of CBS all access. So as much as we were singing the praises of CBS all access for the Jordan Peele twilight zone, uh, the regular twilight zone and everything else. Now you can also watch, are you afraid of the dark? That is amazing. Um, I I've noticed that they've, they upped their game a little bit too, and putting more content on there. So that's exciting. Uh, my, uh, my five ninety nine a month is going to go spent, be spent well. Yeah, I mean, so, and I know there's also the new, there was the new version of the stands coming there too. So that's not that we are up, uh, like we're not being paid by CBS All Access, but or whatever, whatever they call it now. But if people want to check it out for 30 days for free, or I think it's 30 day trial still, go do that. Watch Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, you know, uh, it it has its qualities. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of anthology horror, uh, that's, you know, it's a good gateway series for younger people. So I know there's a lot of nostalgia for it. And I just want to let people know that because it's been really hard to find, um, in terms of like, it, you could, you could pay for episodes like to, to rent them, but like it just, there was not like a streaming home for it, which I thought was surprising at this point. Yeah. It's actually kind of annoying because the only time that I've been able to watch it myself is, uh, 
is through like YouTube videos and that, and the, the quality is garbage. That's yeah, that's true. So now wouldn't it be great if like the CBS ones was like just all the rips from like daily motion. They're like, that's all we got folks. You know, <laughs> like we're going to bring them in. Um, so, so yeah, anyway, that's the breaking news. So I just figured in terms of, uh, you know, anthology horror shows that people have nostalgia for, but I thought that'd be important. So with that being said, uh, let's move on to season five, episode seven, the old man in the cave, uh, air date was 11, um, 11, sorry, November 8th, 1963. Um, I actually did do my research this time and didn't follow my keys like last week. So that was, uh, I like to like what I admitted, that was the first time I ever made a mistake on the show. I hope people understand that that's completely tongue in cheek because, uh, that, you know, if you collect all the mistakes, that's more than Robert McCord appearances, um, on the show. Uh, so number one song, uh, sugar shack by Jimmy Gilmer and the fireballs. Number one film. It's a mad, 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 mad world. That's the one with like all it's like a cavalcade of stars and it's a wacky chase and race to go find treasure. Uh, I know it's been parodied a lot. I've not seen it, but uh, from from everything I know about it, it sounds like it was a, like a really fun film and a pretty pretty uh, decent sized hit for what it was. That sounds like that movie Rat Race. So maybe it's like a loose uh, r- uh, retelling. I think Rat Race is kind of like a, a modern update of the Mad 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 World. Yeah, I've never heard of that before. When I when I looked up a little bit of information about it, I was like, I've never heard of this movie, but I'd be willing to check it out. So eh, there's something. Yeah, I just I, all I really know about it is that there was a Simpsons episode early on whenever there was a cat burglar in Springfield and he kept giving them clues as to like like stringing them along. And eventually he re- would reveal where his treasure was buried and like all of Springfield started rushing towards the treasure. And it was like an homage to Mad, 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 Mad World with people like using different like types of vehicles and different types of transport. Um, so it's like, of course, the Simpsons is the thing that I go to to understand a reference to something I've not seen. I mean, that's fair because I mean, how many years have they been on air and yeah. they have to like dig deep for some content now nowadays, I assume. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, that was number one film. I, uh, so, so the news story, uh, Terry, you're going to like this one. This one's a, a wonderful story. Uh, five jewel thieves in Manhattan overpowered six unarmed employees and the driver of a station wagon transporting precious gems and gold valued at $3 million, which is the equivalent of 25.1 million today after forcing the vehicle to the curb at 12th Avenue and 41st street and a carefully planned operation that would have been the perfect crime, except for one flaw in the scheme. Um, four of the bandits got back in their own truck and the remaining one prepared to drive the car and its cargo to a place where the vehicle could be looted. The getaway driver, however, did not know how to operate a clutch. Um, and the car didn't have like just an automatic transmission. So he stalled the vehicle and it's multi-million dollar contents a block away. And then he ran away and left the vehicle. What an idiot. (laughs) His group is a bunch of idiots, too, for not, like, researching the fact that this this guy couldn't drive uh, a stick shift. Well, it's also 63. (laughs) Like, like that, like, I mean, I, you know, I was taught how to drive stick, like, but I've I've forgotten it because I don't, you know, every car is automatic now. Right. Um, But 63, it seems like that'd still be like pretty prevalent thing. Right. Would be how to use a like a manual transmission. I, yeah, you would assume that it's going to be the predominant uh, part of the manufacturing. Yeah. So anyway, almost perfect crime. Didn't know how to drive stick. So guys, here's the lesson to take away from this episode. If you want to steal a bunch of stuff, remember, first learn how to drive stick. Yeah, that's a that's a good call. Uh, <laughs> or, or at least uh, 
put somebody else on the task. (laughs) Yeah. Like you you would think with the five of them be like, okay, we're getting this, we're going to go. And it's like, Hey, like bill, what? Like, what is this thing in the car? It's like, that's like what you've never seen a manual gear shift before. Like that's a gear shift. Okay. 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 (laughs) You get in the other car. I'll drive. Like you think they would have had that conversation. And at the very least, how, how heavy were these gems that he couldn't take at least a portion of them? Why abandon the whole damn thing? Yeah. The gems you could have hauled the gold. I mean, gold is heavy, right? Like when, like, so, uh, I'm going to guess the stuff that was valued at 25 million, probably a lot of gold, but yeah, you could grab some gems, make it worth your time. You could hoof it out of there. Yeah. I, at least not go back to your home base being like, yeah, I got nothing guys. Sorry. <laughs> and they'll be like, they'll be like, what happened Did the cops get you? No. It's like, Oh, did you, did you run into some like trouble from like the other uh, people that had the car? No. What? I just couldn't drive stick, you know? And that was probably also the moment that person, you know, got severely beaten, beaten, if not worse. Yeah, uh, that's that's so stupid. <laughs> but that's a good. That's a good. It's a lot, a uh, lot more lighthearted than some of the news stories that we've had in the past. So yeah, it is like, <laughs> and then he fell off a cliff into a helicopter. Like, no, that's like, or whatever. And then seven endangered species <laughs> died shortly targeted. thereafter. Yeah, um, and somehow a cat got shot in the space and was never heard from again. That's the the rest of the story. No. Uh, so yeah, that's that's our day and dates. Uh, let's get into uh, our cast and crew here. All right, so the director on this episode is Alan Croslin Jr. Um, uh, four episodes of The Twilight Zone. Um, he did the parallel and then two more in this season. So we, we're going to see more of his uh, directing soon enough. Um, well, you don't want to elaborate uh, on the parallel, the, the season four episode? You don't want to talk more about that? Uh, anyways. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't. Um, okay. I think we, we had a decent enough conversation about it. Um, yeah, go check that episode out, guys, if you really want to hear our deep um, thought about the parallel on an episode that wasn't really thought out too well. Um, so And then, yeah, so he w- did 16 episodes of the Alfred Hitch- Hitchcock Presents and then some Wonder Woman episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's all. Yeah. You, you have given him more, uh, more background here than, than I would have. Cause I figured we talked about him for the parallel and we'll see him again later. Uh, the, the directing this episode isn't bad. I do have some questions about the very, very, very end, but I think this is a better showing of his work. Yeah. And then, um, so our writers on this, uh, the story was done by, uh, Henry Slezar. Slezar. Yeah. I don't, I don't. Good enough. Um, yeah, let's do that. Um, he does. He, he has written one more episode for season five that we'll talk about later. Um, a ton of episodes of Somerset and 900 and ep- 980 episodes of Edge of the Night. Yeah, so he was actually like a pulp writer, pulp fiction, so pulp fiction uh, science writer. He'd also do crime fiction. Uh, and then he would go on to write a lot of like, you know, you just mentioned soap operas. Uh, it's supposedly, according to the Wikipedia page, it's it's believed he created the term coffee break. So we have him to thank for that. Uh, and so this will also be, you mentioned there's one other Slezar, uh, Slezar, um, Sleestack adaptation this season from him. So, uh, and then also uh, one of his stories was actually used as a segment in the 80s Twilight Zone as well. Nice. Um, and then our, um, 
the second credit on here, the teleplay was adapted by uh, Rod Serling. So, and he, this is uh, not the first time that he's done that. So, yeah. yeah. There we go. And I just want to point out here before we get to the the cast, uh, there's music cues, there's stock music here from uh, from the original score of "And When the Sky Was Opened," which was a season one episode, and I, I think the music works pretty well. Yeah, yeah, I, I, the music worked out pretty pretty well in this episode for sure. Um, and into our cast now, we got um, James Colburn. Um, this is the second time we've talked about him. More recently, um, he plays Major French in this episode. Um, go back to our episode um, that we talked about the dark room. Uh, I think we do a pretty de- a decent uh, dive into his career, but since we just recently done it, um, I don't know if you wanted to add anything onto it. No, it just, you know, uh, I think he has, has a good presence and just knowing that later on he would be uh, like talking about women's makeup in a dark room, you know, the places you go. Yeah. There we go. Um, so, and then next we have uh, John Anderson. Uh, he plays Goldsmith in this episode. Uh, three other episodes of The Twilight Zone, uh, A Passage for Trumpet, The Odyssey of Flight 33, and of late, I think, of Clifford Friedle. Yeah, uh, A Passage for Trumpet was a Jack uh, Klugman episode, uh, actually season one episode. Uh, and I was like, why does John Anderson look so familiar? Aside from the fact that we'd seen him already twice. Uh, he plays uh, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel in that episode. And he looks a lot like Abraham Lincoln. So I remember, I believe I made the dumb joke of calling him Gabraham Lincoln in that episode. And it, you know, that's, uh, didn't go so well, but it tickles me. Uh, I, I think it still works, man. <laughs> <laughs> Solid. Um, but yeah, so then, uh, we move on to, uh, Josie Lord, uh, Lloyd, I'm sorry. Um, Evie, she plays in this episode. Um, tons of Alfred Hitchcock, uh, presents an hour. And that's pretty much the only things I had for her. Yeah, I have. Um, she was active mainly from 60 to 67. Uh, it weirdly a large write up about her four appearances on the Andy Griffith show. N- not that it's weird that she was on the Andy Griffith show. She played uh, like three different characters. So like there's the first two episodes she was on. She played two, two different characters. And then the last time, the last two times she was on, she played uh, like a possible love interest for, I think, either Andy or someone. But it's like this, like the write-ups for this on the Wikipedia for her was like, like really like they went like in depth and I'm like, wow, um, there's some Andy Griffith fans out there. It was a long running show. I actually enjoyed it when I was a kid. So (laughs) maybe there's still, still that continuance of love. Maybe there, maybe there's a podcast out there that talks about the Andy Griffith show. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's (laughs) like they're watching an order and the show will never end. No. (laughs) I, that would be that's something I would not want to challenge myself to do. Whew, that's a, that's I know it's a lot of episodes. Oh yeah. Um, so next we have John uh, Craven. Uh, he plays man, and that's all I have. <laughs> he just yeah. plays man. I don't know if he got any credits for him. Well, so I, the only Twilight Zone episode uh, he was in the stage production of Our Town that actually took off to cause like the success of that play to end up becoming a film. But whenever it was actually going to be filmed, he was passed over for the role he was in in that film in the film version. So kind of missed, um, missed out on that part of fame. Uh, but I just, it's something here on Wikipedia. Like, so this is about John Craven, someone we don't know, but I like this bit of trivia. It says, um, his stage family had a long history of alternating generations of men named John with subsequent generations of men named Frank. Thanks. Thanks. Wikipedia. That's great. (laughs) They strike again. Yeah. (laughs) So there you go. That's what um, I have for him. 
Yeah. So um, uh, next we have our second John in this episode, John Marley. Um, he plays Jason. Uh, one other episode of uh, Twilight Zone, Kick the Can. And uh, he was also in The Godfather and in two episodes of Hawaiian Eye. Okay, thank you for the Hawaiian Eye connection. I didn't look that far because uh, I his most famous thing he's probably known for, you mentioned The Godfather. He's the film producer in the very, well, I'm not beginning of the movie, but it's in the first third of the film that wakes up with the, the severed horse head in his bed. So that's what he's known for. Oh, yeah, for. I do remember that scene. Famous, yeah, and it's like so. Um, the reference books that I use, the one is the the Twilight Zone Encyclopedia. I open it up, and it's just the only thing they have for this episode is a picture of him saying, uh, basically, there's a little quote underneath saying, uh, it was you know, working on set, um, and not near like, you know, was it not woken up by horses or something like horse head in his bed or something like that? It was a really dumb quote, like a little, a little clip, quip about him under his photo, and then a brief summation of the plot of the episode, and then nothing else. So the Twilight Zone Encyclopedia did more to make a joke about him and his famous role than they did to say anything about old, the old man in the cave. The Twilight Zone Encyclopedia. That's that's pretty strange. <laughs> uh, and he plays a pretty big role in this uh, episode, too. Well, not, not substantial role, but it, I mean, he helps the, the story move along. Yeah, it's just you would think that like there would be maybe a note or two about something about the episode improper other than just like a brief uh, synopsis of the plot. And that's it. That's the only the only thing in the Twilight Zone encyclopedia about it is a picture of him, a reference to the Godfather, and then a description of the episode. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I, I know it's, it's um, weird, but so with with this, that's our main cast. Uh, this suddenly it, it, it deteriorates into like um, thirty other people that are on this episode. Uh, a lot of them are cast as random townspeople, so they didn't really talk, but they're on screen. Uh, I did go through and look at every single one of them just in case something popped up. I have a couple. Um, I don't like, I'm going to guess that you probably did the same thing. So who do you have? That's the rest of the townspeople that you'd want to mention. All right. So uh, we got Gene Colgan. Um, he plays a townsman. Uh, two other episodes, Death Heads Revisited, which uh, we've you've got. Well, the the show is covered before, and it's a fascinating episode. And then uh, No Time Like the Past, uh, another great episode. Yeah, uh, that's what I got. Uh, and then um, I also have uh, Jimmy uh, Horan. Uh, this is fourth of four Twilight Zone appearances. He was in Cavender is Coming, Death's Head Revisited, and Elegy. And that's all I got for the rest of the cast. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much the meat of what I would have had to. Um, it was you were to give the credit to people. It, it would have been nice, but th- I mean, there's so many cast members here, so those are the ones that I felt were the most important. Yeah, and just the rest of them. It's like some of them had pretty long careers, being like you know background actors, and some of them had like four credits, or you know. So it was really, yeah, it is what it is, but. Oh, well. All right. So that's our cast and crew. Let's just uh, let 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 Surly take it away here for uh, the old man in the cave. What you're looking at is a legacy that man left to himself. A decade previous, he pushed his buttons and a nightmarish moment later woke up to find that he had set the clock back a thousand years. His engines, his medicines, his science were buried in a mass tomb covered over by the biggest gravedigger of them all, a bomb. And this is the earth ten years later, a fragment of what was once a whole, a remnant of what was once a race. The year is 1974, and this is the Twilight Zone. 
So I will say that I think um, the beginning of this episode, the very first shot, is one of my favorite things I've ever seen in an episode of The Twilight Zone. With just just a guy in a car, like a little tiny sports car, just being pulled by a horse (laughs) down a street. It's amazing. Yeah, I I didn't expect that. (laughs) That was probably the most... um, Probably like off-putting things that I've seen in the twilight zone <laughs> so far. So I mean, it's, it's li- well, one, I just realized it's literal horsepower. That's a one horsepower engine that car has. Uh, and two, um, I was just thinking, is this like him, him remembering the days before the bomb or is this just how they get around? Cause it seems like that's really counterproductive. Yeah. I, and I think it would make less sense to do it that way because I mean, the horse is going to get more tired dragging a, 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 a metal framed car around, which means it's going to have to rest more often. Why don't you just get up on top of it like a cowboy? <laughs> right. Uh, but so, I mean, like later on, later on, you see the horse is pulling a truck that has a bed like that to me would make more practical sense just in the sense of like storage, you know, like almost like a stagecoach type of thing. But this, you see a couple of these horses tied to these cars. So I know we're supposed to get this point across that it's like, it's the future. Uh, shit's gone wrong. A bomb has dropped, but it was just like, I, I don't know. I it just, I, um, I would have loved to bit on set just to watch them get that all set up and just watch like, I, you know, a couple people probably took turns riding in that thing just cause it was so weird. <laughs> yeah, I would have. I mean, just for the, the picture's sake of it. Um, but uh, do you feel like this was the bridge between like the, the apocalypse and then uh, what eventually turns into Mad Max? <laughs> this is later Mad Max when they run out of gas. It's just uh, it's just cars <laughs> being pulled by horses, you know, it's going to but it's going to be the same big ass cars that we see in Mad Max, like the big souped up ones being pulled by a lot of horses. Yeah, and a, like a drummer, uh, like on the back with fire coming just, out of the drums. Just hitting and all this, all the canned foods that they can't have. It's you know whatever. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> oh yeah, it was it, like I understand that like trying to get across that like the world has moved on. Like there's this bomb, uh, and like you know the the desolation of the street is very it's very effective. Like the look of the like the like whatever it's like a dusty like you know whatever it's a town in ruin. And that, that works for me. That's, that's good. It's just seeing the horses pull cars around. I was just, it was that it was funny. I know that was not the intent, but it was funny to me. Yeah, it was a, it was a treat. Um, I, I, I don't know if, if you have any notes on this set, but I swear that we've seen this set in multiple episodes, but it hadn't been in ruins like it is in this. Um, I thought I, I thought this looked familiar to me, too, um, in, in the research that I did, uh, meaning three books and the Internet. Um, no, this actually hasn't shown up because I thought this was like I was like, I was like, this looks familiar, uh, you know, even like um, Still Valley. Right. You would think that this would just be them turning the camera a different direction and shooting that town, but it's not. So I'm not sure the set they used, but it must be one that was either because like um, uh, the first season, sorry, the first episode of season three is called two. It's the one with all Charles Bronson and uh, oh, um, what's her name from Bewitched? Samantha Stevens. Uh, that was a back lot from an older movie studio that was like, um, had run out of business and the back lot was sitting there falling apart. And they're like, we need a, we need a future that looks terrible. And they're like, we have this back lot. And they're like, good. We don't have to change anything. 
So it makes me wonder if they found something like that where it's like, hey, do you have anything falling apart? Yeah, we'll take it. Uh, just give us some cars for horses to pull around. They're like, you got it. They're bad perfection. I mean, yeah. not much work involved. So. <laughs> So, but yeah, actually, um, uh, there was, th- there was some cost to actually to some of the looks of this. I'll get to that later. This is, it's going to, it's going to blow your mind. Just the conversion of money from 63 to now of what they're like, Oh, okay. Well that makes sense money wise. And then when I give you the updated figure, um, yeah, it's a, it's a little surprising, but we'll talk about that at the end. Okay. Um, so yeah, um, as you said, yeah, we had, we see the car being pulled by the, uh, horse and it, and then a we pan over to um, uh, some townsfolk, maybe about 12 or so, and they're talking about um, the possibility of the food being bad that they have and um, how one of the members of the group, Goldsmith, is trying to find out if they're able to eat the food or not from some somebody up in the mountain yet, uh, that we haven't really talked about yet. And uh, so they're concerned about the food and the crops that are apparently growing are terrible. Um, they look like it looks, it looks real disgusting. I don't even know what this girl holds up as a crop, but it looked terrifying. I I don't know what the (laughs) hell that was. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was disgusting. It looked like just rotted vegetables. And there's a one point where, uh, she tells uh, she tells somebody there it was was it Jason or whoever because I it's like Jason there's only a handful of people that get names here right so Evie's the one holding up um the the vegetables uh, and then she's like this was the best of music like, well that was the best of them oh, like basically he made some type of joke I, I they didn't write it down but it's like they they were trying and so when they would grow crops on land that the old man uh, in the cave told them not to there was problems and they made a comment about like growing water like um, tomatoes that were like the size of watermelons that just were like sickly and disgusting um you know so like people were trying to live they're getting information from another source saying maybe don't do that but they're still trying and they have all those canned goods in front of them too about like can these were supposedly bought like canned uh pre-bomb can we eat them um and so jason who seems to like you, their relationship between jason and um Oh, a goldsmith isn't quite clear, but it it feels like Jason's a little bit of a leader of the town while goldsmith kind of has final say. Um, so I don't know, like you, you get the, you get the feeling the town's looking to Jason and Jason's looking to goldsmith, but the town, obviously they've been living this way for 10 years. They're looking for anything else to survive on. And I can, I can at least identify with that plight. It's just, man. Um, I know, um, I, I, I get, I get, weirded out about food that gets left in my fridge for like a week too long not like 10 years yeah i i yeah i i know how you feel like especially um when it comes to like holiday um uh leftovers because you're like well i mean i have like a pound of turkey left but it doesn't smell right anymore <laughs> but it's a pound of turkey so it's something to eat so you're like do i take the chance i don't know <laughs> Yeah, if only there's some type I'm of old man in the cave. Yeah. <laughs> if only there's some like it's like, oh, the old man says you can't have the turkey in the fridge, but it looks okay, you know. Anyway. Um, yeah, I just also want to mention here, and I know this was them also trying to show like there was problems in the future, but Evie had like a, a bump on her nose, like it looked like, like some type of sore. That really annoyed me. I don't know. Like, you know, it's just I'm, I couldn't not look at the bump on her nose at any time she was on screen. Yeah, I, I I think they should have done a little bit more of that kind of stuff, though, yeah. like to show maybe the 
mutation or maybe had like a group member that was didn't listen to the old man. <laughs> no, I agree. Like to really kind of lean into that. But yeah, just one little bump on her nose. And I'm like, Egh. anyway, so uh, so Goldsmith shows back up um, and they ask about like, you know, uh, like about the, the canned food. He's like, it's all poison. Can't have it. And then he also says to them, uh, the old man told us there's going to be a 80 percent chance of uh, rain tomorrow. So, uh, with, with, um, the radiation in the area is like, make sure you turn over the rain barrels, cover up the troughs. Um, did like knowing what you and I know now about the end of the episode, did that particular statement seem odd to you? 80% chance of rain. Yeah. It, it seemed like a meteorologist, uh, statement like the, the 80% is a very specific number when it comes to like forecasting rain and that, not just like a blanket statement of like, um, yeah, it's more than likely going to rain in the next couple of days. Yeah. So like with, with the being a very specific number, um, and not that I'm like patting myself on the back because again, the show 60 years old and I think we as viewers have gotten more sophisticated. I, I knew exactly where this episode was going right then and there. Like, and, um, not, you know, it's, so it, it didn't, it didn't ruin some of the character beats, but I'm like, Oh shit, I know what's going on. And that was like three minutes into the episode. And that's fair to assume too. Um, yeah, it, it caught me off guard, so I, I it kind of was uh, showing its hand a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, so I just want to point out here: they're all like, worried about all all of this canned goods, and I understand that this would be a problematic situation to to head towards. But um, you have a lot of healthy looking horses around you. I don't know. <laughs> Go French. <laughs> i'm not saying i'm not saying eat all the horses but you could probably like eat a horse especially if you've had them for like 10 years you know like i mean not just them but i'm saying like horses still exist that's a lot of meat that that's a that's a very fair statement uh, i don't i i don't know I maybe maybe they were just like not at that point yet, but I think once uh, once you got to that point where it's like all your canned food is bad, and um, the old man's not giving you any other options, I think it's uh, it's horse meat time. Yeah, it's <laughs> like it's like I can see why the townspeople being like, "Well, who's going to pull our cars?" You know, <laughs> like, "Well, okay, you got you got a point there. I guess we can't touch the horses." <laughs> yeah, true. Um, yeah. So so that's what uh, we but, get. So, yeah. So, yeah. Go ahead, please. I was going to say, um, as they're like finishing up their conversation about the food and being bad, um, we see that there's a Jeep in the distance that uh, seems to be just driving by, but then notices the group um, of townsfolk uh, gathered. Um, so they drive up to them, and that's when we see uh, French and his men, Mr. French or Captain French or whatever the hell his name is at this point, uh, Joel, uh, uh, James Colburn. And uh, he, he starts asking questions about the town. Um, you know, what the name of the town is, who, who's the leader and all that stuff. And, uh, Goldsmith is speaking on behalf of the town. And, uh, it seems that he's already kind of run into this, uh, scenario before, cause he doesn't seem very phased by seeing these people drive up, but they're heavily armed and they look like they're Marines or something like that. But you can definitely tell it's, uh, time's been wearing on them too. Yeah, they're definitely military. I, I picked up that they call themselves the Central States Command. Um, so uh, they, they they show up to town. And like you said, Goldsmith, like he's not surprised to see people show up with like, you know, 
Like, well, I mean, I think it's also surprising that you're seeing like a functioning Jeep with gas, but that's, I, I think that should put people back a little bit, you know, I mean, as a viewer it should, right? Cause you see these horse drawn cars and all of a sudden you see this Jeep come rolling up. Um, but yeah, so they, they, um, they tell like French and his, his men tell, uh, Goldsmith and their people like he, well, first French is questioning about like, you know, who are they, how many, like what's going on. Um, but then he is basically saying, well, you know, we've come here to, to basically like set up civilization again. He's not saying it that way, but they're supposed to set up an outpost and, uh, they're supposed to be, he's supposed to be the new like constable. Um, and he ends up saying to, uh, Goldsmith about like, you know, he's like, you know, there's only like 500 people alive along, like basically the East coast. And he's like, and you know why? So this is why we're going to set up like this new thing. Like, um, whatever the central state's command is they're they're going to be exerting their authority. And that's the plan is that they're going to take over this town as well. Yeah. And it, it makes sense from, I guess, some sort of standpoint of like reconnecting people and trying to establish, um, like, um, connection with other groups and that, but I don't, I don't think that's just a line that French is feeding him. Um, you, you get a little closer to the truth. Uh, the more that Goldsmith is, uh, refuting some of the things that he's saying, he's like, we've seen people like you come here in the past and, you know, we basically, they can see through their lies and all they want to do is, um, take over their society, which obviously didn't work because they're still there. Yeah, there was some type of line along, like to the effect of like we've seen your kind before, but like their authority is only as like as big as like they they brought their base with them or whatever. Basically saying they presented themselves as a bigger thing, but they were only just representing themselves and they had no power. And he's like, and we don't recognize your power either. Um, so uh, so French French and Goldsmith um, don't start off on good um, you know on good footing. No, not at all. And I, I can understand the power struggle here because Goldsmith knows that, especially with the old man and the, and the, and the what is it, the old man in the mountain or whatever the hell he's calling him. Old man in the cave. Um, That's the- <laughs> old man in the cave. They say, they say it like 8,000 times in this like half hour episode, you know, so I just want to make sure that we know it's the old man in the cave. Oh, and of course it's called the old man in the cave. <laughs> so I, my, my, uh, my brain's going in different directions tonight. Um, but yeah, so um, he wants to make sure that his people are taken care of, that they could possibly survive for another 10 years. But then here comes this dick with his guys saying, hey, we're going to we're going to take you guys over. Basically, we're going to we're going to, you know, uh, we're going to work you into our new uh, governmental system or whatever. Like, you know, that he's going to assimilate them and he doesn't want to do that at all. Yeah. And so, um, so French does like this, like unofficial, like we hope that we get along and that, you know, there's no trouble here. And, you know, and even if you get along with us, then you, you'll even have a bit of your own power. And he's like, that's unofficial. He's like, but officially slap this, this hits Goldsmith strikes him to the ground and just, you know, uh, puts his foot on him and is basically saying like, you know, you will follow our orders and you will put us up for the night. You will give us sustenance. And if you don't do any of this, I'm going to hang you. And, I, and he points to a part of the, this building across streams, like from that, you know, from that banister. Um, and so then that's whenever, uh, uh, when Goldsmith gets back up and one of French's, uh, uh, members of his group says, you know, like, so, you know, like, what would you rather do be alive or have a broken neck? Uh, that's when, uh, Goldsmith reveals, he's like, well, cause we have, we have uh, a belief system. We don't acknowledge yours. We have the old man, in the cave. And then 
French is like, um, say what now? Like old man <laughs> of the cave. Well, he also looks over and he sees all the food and he's like, oh, this is the jackpot. Yeah. And he's like, what's all that over there? And Goldsmith replies that it's poison. He's like, who said? Said the old man in the cave. And yeah, and of course he's like, what is this now? Like what, what cockamamie story is this? The old man in the cave. And it's saying Goldsmith, uh, you know, tells him like, this is the person that's kept us alive as long as we have. And he, he informed us that this product is bad. Like it, it can't be consumed. Yeah. And so French, uh, he basically says like, okay, I get it. I get it. He's like everywhere, you know, s- since the bomb is dropped, which I also want to rewind just a, a, a brief second. Cause we skipped over Sterling's intro. I like that. He says it's the year 1974, which we, we heard him say that, but like we had his actual intro on the show. Uh, I just want to point out that like, do you think this all happened because when they banned boxing, they brought all the B units in place and then they started melting down. So all the robot boxers caused this apocalypse. I want to believe that what happened in steel led directly to all of this. I think it's a, probably a good correlation to make. <laughs> Cause especially when French is like, there's only five people alive on uh, the East coast. You know why it's like, must have been one of those B nine units just went like, you know, completely meltdown and took out the East coast. We don't know. Yeah. And now, now they got to watch out for the T 800. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like they're killing the machines, but they also have a pretty good left jab. All right. So anyway, <laughs> um, and they sweat like real people too. No. Uh, so yeah. Uh, so we get this thing where, where French is basically, he's saying, I've seen this before. There's other places of the country that have developed their own beliefs and their own, basically own societies. And he uh, makes a reference uh, to Lake Erie. And he's like, oh, up around Lake Erie, there's a bunch of weirdies up there um, that, you know, howl at the moon each month. And he's like, in Chicago, they uh, they made this big uh, structure out of um, oh, lead or something. It was like, you know, molten lead, and that's their deity. He's like, I get it. He's like, you know, this is all ridiculous. And he's like, and, and he's like, and this old man, he's like, just think about it. It's nutty. And Goldsmith is... Um, Goldsmith is serious this entire episode. Like he doesn't change his tone or the look on his face at all the entire time. Yeah. I, 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 I'm glad that, um, like it makes sense and it, it, you know, but he knows the facts, the people are still alive and obviously he knows more than the rest of the townsfolk do do as well. So it's like his poker face, it seems to be working, but French still wants to call him out. So they want to go up and visit this, uh, this cave and see what the hell's going on in there. But that, um, brief aside though, did you feel a very biblical, um, connection at this point, especially after he said the deity that was made in, um, in Chicago area? Yeah. I mean, in the sense of like, um, the deity as in like the, that, um, the old man, like they believe it as a God. Is that what you're asking? Or is it something different? Well, no, I'm saying, uh, like, uh, outside of that too, like um, the old man in the cave, like very like um, Moses yeah. kind of like connection here that we're making as well. Yeah, of course. Right. Cause I mean, that wouldn't make sense to me. Like uh, if you, if you say like, well, that, you know, like the, the so-and-so like from like the elder, like, like I went up to the mountain and I, I talked to God and he brought, he gave me these tablets. Right. I, yeah. Like what's what Goldsmith is talking about. And when he gets to the very end, he is talking about faith. His faith is, um, it's, it's differently placed and we'll get there at the end, but he does have faith in a being. Um, 
And French sees that too, but French doesn't see exactly what's going on. So yeah, I do get the religious um, nature of what, what they're trying to get across here in the episode. Yeah, it, it, especially once they made that comment about Chicago, I was like, okay, so I, I, I'm definitely seeing like a, a Bible vibe here, um, especially when you know the townsfolk are the ones that believe in uh, what the old man is saying at this point to, to uh, have faith in his words. And then you see um, these uh, marine-looking guys come along, and they're questioning it, and they want to take down their society. Yeah, I mean, like, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a brief brief aside here and ask your your opinion. Then, so like, um, when we watched the season four episode, what was it on um, on was it on Tuesday we head for home or whatever whatever that episode was called? Um, was it on Tuesday we leave for home? Was that the name of the episode? Um, it was. The- I think. Um, I think think it was like Thursday. No, yeah, on Tuesday we leave from home. It was season four, episode sixteen, where we had um the 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 lead singer, the lead singer, the lead singer of that episode, the lead the lead actor of that episode was also the guy that was put in charge, or at least he assumed you know the position, and he used faith to keep them like you know in order on that hellscape of a planet. Um, and then whenever, you know, his power was taken away, obviously he went a little nutty. Uh, but I, I feel like, um, Goldsmith and that character aren't too far apart, except like, um, the guy on Tuesday, Willie from home was like, that was his only small amount of power where I feel like Goldsmith, I think he also is burdened with the knowledge of what he actually knows what's going on, that if he lets it out, then, um, what, what safety can be afforded would be ruined uh, because I think the townspeople would start asking too much of, of the old man in the cave. And honestly, as uh, you know, after, especially after 10 years and after uh, such, um, such a a crazy event of like a bomb going off and basically wiping out um, the country's population, I would rely on blind faith too, I guess. I mean, what's the difference? It's, it's keeping me alive. So why not? Yeah. It's just, I think it's just two different versions of like this, uh, faith and determination that we're seeing in these episodes. Yeah. I think there's a parallel there. Oh, that's the, that's the name of the episode. This, this guy directed too. So there you go. Try to tie that all together. Um, but yeah, anyway, so, uh, French French, uh, gets in the Jeep and then has the entire town run beside him to go to the cave. Did you notice that? <laughs> yeah, it, it's a, it was a kind of a dick move. I don't know. I, so, I, I, I also want to know like how far away this this cave is. Yeah, <laughs> it's like everybody had like a like I liked how they all ran on set, like or like ran on the scene. It was like it was like a brisk jog. It's like well then why couldn't French just do that too? Nope, we all have to. Everybody has to run around the jeep. You know, not a single horse drawn car in sight going to the cave. It, yeah, it, it's it, it kind of builds to like the the power trip that. uh um, French is on and like, he wants to continue to have. So yeah, we, he's in his own little chariot and he goes up to the cave with the townsfolk. And what we see of the cave is, um, it's, it's, it's in the side of a cliff or something like that. And it's a big metal door. And French, of course, like wants to get inside and want to see whoever this old man is. And, um, Goldsmith explains like, no one's ever seen the dude. Like no one goes inside. And French is like, well, how do you get the information from, from this old man? He says, well, he gives us notes. He's like, ah, that's not enough. So he grabs a grenade <laughs> and <laughs> tries to blow open the door. And, of course, that doesn't work. So I, at this point now, would you, 
what were your indications when you saw the giant metal door? Did you think anything different about where your initial thoughts were going? Because I thought maybe at this point it might be aliens. Okay. I mean that like, cause that, because the, the closure to the cave is very manufactured. It's like that straight, like it, it's a, just, you know, a big thick metal door. Right. Like, so, um, yeah. So the, obviously, you know, it, it was not natural. So, uh, but I have my suspicion from the 80% weather. So I was still sticking to that. Uh, well, we'll get to the end here. So, uh, but I did like that, um, that French was like, yeah, you know, a grenade will take care of this. And as he's like getting ready to put it up there, he tells everybody's like, stand back if you know, if you want to. And then when the grenade uh, fails, a couple of the townspeople laugh at him. And that's when he just like, he turns, he turns on everybody. Like, and I mean, not that he was already wanting to assert his power cause he was, but he was trying to show how much of a full goldsmith was. And then whenever the town starts to kind of laugh at him, you know, he gets pissed. Um, cause he doesn't like being shown that he's wrong. Right. And then, uh, the, he's, he doesn't want to lose the townsfolk either. Yeah. I mean, he wants to take these guys over. So he doesn't want to look like a joke in front of these people that he's going to soon overpower and take over. Yeah. So then to tip the, the balance of power back, we get to the, we get back to town. I mean, everybody, they, they ran back, I'm sure, um, at a brisk pace. And he, and so French is starting to give all the canned food out that was like sitting in the street, telling them all to have it. And that should be fine. And, um, so then Goldsmith's like that, you know, it's like, that's poison. It's going to kill everybody. And he was like, you know, there's this big back and forth. Like French is like, this is all, you know, packaged pre bomb. How do you know? Like, like you've, you've like, you know, basically uh, he is trying to show him like the, the old man in the cave doesn't like that's, it's nothing. It's, it's just, it's a belief that he's been using to keep people in place. And that's when French opens up whatever it is he's opening. He eats something out of a can. I thought it, it looks like it's fruit, like a banana. I don't even know, but he uses a knife and starts eating it. And, and then he um, looks like he's uh, starting to die. And uh, you know, uh, and he does, I guess, fall on the ground dead with everybody freaked out, which I want to point out, he's handing out the canned food, to all the people. And then he like, he looks like he dies right in front of him. A couple of them drop the cans immediately because they're like, Oh shit, this is poison. And then he's like, ha ha, I'm just kidding. Look, it's fine. It's like way to screw with the townspeople. <laughs> I probably still feel a little freaked out though. Like I joke or not, you have what the old man says. And then you have even this pretend sequence here. It's like, it would be somewhat unnerving for me to still be like, you know what? I'm yeah, good. I'll eat it anyways. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, that's uh, they're having that, and then um, there was it. Um, there was the point where uh, he, uh, I, I think it's no. He says this later after the booze comes out. So one of the guys comes out with all the booze. And he's like, "Oh, we rebuilt. Re, uh, was it repelled? Repelled? Um, repealed prohibition? Uh, you know, it had all the 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 jars of booze, and everybody's partying." Um, and so I, I just want to point out here that it occurred to me on the second watch of this, uh, that these people of this town were just so eager to return to normal after a huge life changing event in which people have died, um, that they don't want to listen to any warnings. They just want to act like everything's normal. Um, good thing that's never, ever happened again, uh, at all currently as you and I are talking. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, there is kind of a parallel there. That's, um, but yeah. I, I think that it shows like the, um, I don't want to say the feeble minded, um, I ideology here, but, but it, it shows that these people 
really are they're easily swayed on the idea that well this guy thinks it's it's bull so we may as well listen to him because we're not getting we're not getting ahead by listening to the old man so let's listen to what this guy is saying is logic here yeah and and normally um, when it comes to like, you know, uh, you know, man of faith, man of science, like type of like, you know, debates that happen in a lot of like, you know, movies, right. Like lines are drawn. I, you know, I'll, I'll usually always side with like the side of logic, you know, like, you know, versus like, I don't know, canned food. I, I, and I, there's an army person with the gun, um, and he's eating it. He looks like it's okay. I mean, they did do a dick thing there by falling on the ground, but, uh, this other guy just goes up into the Hills and, 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 and shouts at a wall and gets answers. I don't know. Might be time for some, uh, um, you know, um, canned raviolis, you know, like great, great, 10 years later. Oh God. I don't even want to think about what chef Barity would look like, but anyway, so, uh, right. Ugh. I mean, what if it looked exactly the same? Like what if it was like canned Twinkies and like chef Barty products? It's like, huh, nothing changed at all. I guess we're okay. <laughs> well, I, I did see a can of, um, real ghostbusters, uh, SpaghettiOs opened up more recently and that looked horrifying. Like, it, looked re- it looked scary as hell. I didn't know. It didn't look like any assemblance of food. <laughs> you know, someone's <laughs> going to open up a can of McDonald's French fries. 10 years from now, it's going to look exactly the same. I don't know why you can the French fries, but that's the one thing I think sticks around forever and doesn't change one bit. Uh, but yeah, so like there's the line here where, uh, where Goldsmith says to him is like, you came in here as intruders, but now you're murderers. Like that's, you know, that that's where we're at with this. That's where Goldsmith believes this because the night comes and everybody's partying, eating, drinking. Did you see the point where the soldier tried to give the horse some booze as he's walking out of the bar? Like he just, yeah, tips the I bottle. like how, <laughs> I like how he, him and his buddy have the arms, their arms around one chick. So it's like, okay, this is getting real. Yeah. <laughs> he tries to give the horse some booze and the booze is like the, the booze. So the horse is like, I'm sorry, man, I gotta, I gotta, pull this car later. I'm driving, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah. So, and then at that point, um, there's another discussion about like, you know, education and knowledge and, you know, and eventually, um, I know was it, uh, French says something to Jason about like, you know, about the situation and Jason's the one that kind of starts to turn on Goldsmith saying, you know, uh, you know, we have survived for 10 years, but we haven't, we haven't lived. Um, and that's, and, and then that's when Goldsmith loses the town, right? Cause they're all, they all seem to be partying and have a good time with all the canned foods and booze and, you know, and Goldsmith is standing there. Like he didn't take a drink from the bottle handed to him. He, he broke it and he's standing like in a direct opposition to French and French is enjoying his victory lap to tell everybody like, I, you know, this, the old man in the cave is a lie. Um, let's go find out what it is ourselves. So they all, they, you know. I'm sure with a stomach full of 10 year old food and booze, I'm sure that run to the cave was uh, not as easy as the first time. <laughs> it was more like run to the bathroom at that point. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to need three horses to pull me up there. Yeah. Uh, so that's when we find out, like that's whenever uh, we get to the big, like the big heart of the episode, right. Of Goldsmith finally, um, you know, showing that there's a little hidden lever off to one side that opens the door uh, to the cave. Yeah. Cause he's being, um, you know, he's got like a mob basically that's turned on him. Like all the townsfolk look like they're going to kick the crap out of him. If he doesn't open up the cave, like they really want answers. And I think Goldsmith at this point is just like, well, you know, 
I guess it makes no difference now. You guys are all going to die. I think that was really the, the, the reason why he ended up opening up the cave. I think if they would have still believed in the idea of who the old man was, he would have still not opened up the cave. He, he probably would have taken taken the risk and seen what the townsfolk would have done to him. That's fair. I didn't think about that because, I mean, in his eyes, the moment they they uh, part, you know partook of what looks like to be poisoned goods, they lost faith. You know, and that's the, he was trying to to survive on faith, on the knowledge that he had. So you're right. Like I, I didn't think about it that way, but yeah, he was kind of like, well, they're already they're already gone. They might as well learn. Like they might as well learn the truth. Yeah. So then, um, so yeah, he opens up the cave, and um, everybody op- goes inside, and of course, you see um, multiple shots of um, shocked faces, and. We get the final reveal. It is a massive computer that is in the cave there. Yeah, and not like it's. It looks like um, just a big box full of lights and wires. I mean, it's it is the sixty three version of like what people think computers look like because it's probably accurate, right? Uh, but it's like, and, and I know you and I are probably like looking at that now, and then we look down at our smartphone and realize. I don't know what's going on in that machine, but it's probably just uh, like the same size as an app on our phone now. Yeah, yeah. It's probably like the same technology that was in a Motorola Razor. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, you know, um so um so they uh they find out it's a computer and uh they and French is like, "Okay, let's just, you know, let's like I'm a man of science. Like I'm a man. Like I'm a, I realize that this isn't like like French is a man of science. I'm sorry. He's a man of like his own authority and he was like, "Oh, well, told you guys it wasn't an old man in a cave it was just this computer let's just beat the hell out of it with rocks and the sticks how about that yeah so i again going back to what i assume is more of a biblical connect connection here is like here's your false idol let's take it out yeah and um you know that goldsmith just looks on like he doesn't even look defeated he he pretty much had like a monotone look to him this entire episode but it was probably more or less like the fact that he's like What's the difference now? What's what's the point of having any emotion invested in it? Because you know, like this is it. Like this is what humanity has become. Yeah, yeah. And so, so then uh, the the last shot, uh, or the last sequence, just to say, um, I do like a great deal. Um, however, we open on a wide shot of the town of the street, and you see it's the next morning, and there's bodies, right? Bodies all over. Uh, like dead in the street from from the poisoning of the food, from the radiation poisoning or whatever else was in it. Uh, and like you see the soldiers and everything, right? And then the, the camera uh, turns to the left and pushes in on um, Goldsmith as he walks in a frame. And then he, you know, sees French. French is dead. He, you know, basically tells French like, you know, like this, the, you, everybody's faithless. And I was hoping that this would be different, but maybe man's destined to be this way. And then he just, you know, walks off. I wish, and I think this would have been a better sledgehammer of a shot, is if it would have been in reverse of following Goldsmith into the left side of the town, him looking down at French being dead, and then the camera moving out to the rest of the town. That, to me, I think would have been way more powerful. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I um, I think that would have worked uh, a little bit better, uh, showing the aftermath of what um, French has done to his people and to, to like pretty much tear apart the society that had existed there. I mean, it's still a good shot. It's just, 
I, I'm just thinking from like impact standpoint, it's like, oh man, you could have had, you could have had something here. And it, it, they still do. It's just, you know, it's, I guess it's just a matter of opinion, right. But in a matter of taste, but still like it's an effective ending, right? So the old man in the cave is dead. The town's dead. Goldsmith, uh, faith in humanity is dead. Um, horses can, can now run free and pull as many cars as they want. I don't know. Those poor horses are still sitting there. Like they don't have any stables for them. Yeah. Like he should at least got in one of the cars and like, and rode off into the sunset. Right. Um, or, or how about the Jeep? The Jeep was still functional, whatever. I don't know. But anyway, it feels like he just didn't want to deal with anything of the current world because that's what brought this destruction to begin with. I would have kicked French's dead ass out of that Jeep and taken it. Yeah. I would have been like, all right, finders keepers, dude. Well, and the other <laughs> thing too, okay, so here, here's where we're going to get to the the thing. It's like, it's con- it's not confusing to me, but it is challenging that this is an episode that is, uh, that is purely surrounded by faith, right? Uh, the townspeople's faith in the old man in the cave, Goldsmith's faith that the old man will, you know, give them information that they need. Uh, but then we find out that that information is actually from a computer that, you know, gives him this like modeling or simulation information that he's able to move forward with. So his faith is actually in technology, but then he's expecting like a religious faith uh, presented to him. Like that, that's a, that's a, that's a strange way to go. Uh, and it's something that I'm having. I'm not, I'm not saying difficulty uh, consigning the two because French is also a guy that he, he supposedly believes in logic and he um, thought that, um, Goldsmith's faith was uh, based in like illogic of like, you know, religious belief. So he was challenging him on religious like grounding, but Goldsmith knew that his was based on reality and science. You know, like it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird um, place to end up at uh, in regards to the dialogue in this episode. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think it turns itself on its head a, a couple of times in this episode. And, um, I actually really enjoyed this episode. Um, I thought there was a lot of good dialogue in it. Um, I think there was some good casting with uh, James Colburn and um, and uh, oh geez, who, who Gabriel and uh, John Anderson. Oh yeah, Gabriel Lincoln. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, no, the, the, no, like I, it was. Yeah, that was good. Um, it the only and this is nothing to hold this against the show because you can't judge something like that's supposed to be an anthology episode, its own story and hold it up against others. Um, you know, it's just one of those things where if you look at seasons three, season three episode, the shelter, uh, there's very similar vibes here of like uh, of man trusting man and sometimes being its own worst enemy. Like you see a lot of these shades, which again, um, I think having like the shelter be about the potential threat of a bomb attack. And with this one being the aftermath of a bomb attack, you could tell that still at this point in the sixties, this was still in everybody's forefront of their minds and it was important to talk about. So I believe that had this episode shown up in season one, people would still be talking about it. Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, with this existing around the cold war, cold war era, um, I think it's still an interesting uh, glimpse into the past. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Did you have any other notes? I just have like that small bit of trivia about the costs and then um, we can get to the twist. No, I'm good on my notes. Okay, cool. So uh, the actual cost uh, for the different um, different sets in terms of what they did for the production design. Exterior of the Village Street, $980. Exterior of the Cave, uh, uh, $1,285. Interior of the Cave, $260. 
storefront that the guy runs out of with the booze, 135. So the total set costs in 1963 were um, $2,660. Um, in 2020s, 2020 money, that would be $22,635. Interesting. I, I, I'm sure it would cost that way too uh, nowadays because – you can't do anything cheaply anymore. It seems like, yeah, it's just one of those things where I looked at this cost in the book originally. I'm like, well, that's not so bad. And I'm like, well, let me, let me update the numbers. I'm like, Oh, that's a lot more. And then also I was reading about how the cast, uh, well, two things I was reading about the cast one, um, when the people like the extras were being brought to the studio for the casting, they told them all like, listen, wear like, um, distressed clothes. Cause you're going to be like these people in the future that don't have a lot. Uh, of all the people that showed up for casting, all of them got cast except for one woman uh, because she was overweight and they believed that you couldn't show her in this type of setting when everybody's like desperate to live. So I feel bad about that. Um, and then also the cast that were there, they stayed overnight um, to film the night scene. So they got like a catered meal. So that's kind of nice. So I guess it would have been nice to like it wasn't poison food to my knowledge, but they got a catered meal. Yeah, it was uh, it was pre bomb, pre bomb canned food. So. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, and then James Coburn acted like he was dying, and then it was fine. Anyway, so so yeah, that's uh, that's that's what I have for for this. So um, yeah, let's just rate this twist. I, I kept saying it through the episode. The moment um, uh, Goldsmith said eighty percent chance of rain, I'm like, that's a computer in that cave. Like, I just I didn't change my mind that it was going to be some type of technology. So I, I'm going to give it a one. Okay. Um, yeah, I was, I was going to give it a one as well. Um, uh, like you said, uh, the, the, the show in the hand was, um, the 80% rain thing. Um, at that point, it's like, you really have to believe that it had, it was a computer of some sort. Um, but when I saw the door, that's what swayed my opinion just a little bit, but I mean, it didn't, it didn't change the outcome obviously. <laughs> so yeah, I'll give it a one. Yeah. Still a good story, and I mean, just because um, it played out the way that we were kind of thinking with French in the town dying because of their own, you know, wanting to uh, believe things are fine, that isn't really a twist. It's just, it is a constant reminder, and I think the Twilight Zone does this well whenever it's like, hey, uh, it's this far off year of 1974, you still need to pay attention and like, I don't know, um, just don't immediately follow people. Like I, I don't, it's just this weird thing of like, yeah, be careful. You've been warned for 10 years. And then the, the one day you don't, you know, you don't heed the warning is the day you're going to pay for it. You know, it's a, this is definitely one of those interesting episodes where it's like, you can dive into a lot of different things about um, what they're trying to say. And obviously I feel like we've had a great discussion about this episode and I, I, I definitely would recommend watching this episode to somebody else. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, that's going to do it for our discussion about the old man in the cave. Uh, you guys can find us on our Facebook page. It's invasion of the pot. So, whoop, not invasion of the podcast. Oh my goodness. That's the other show that I do. I have not had a drop of, of, uh, pre bomb alcohol tonight. So that's on me completely. Uh, it's strange highways is our Facebook page. Not the other thing that I do that, you know, whatever. Anyway, we, we much, we're much more operating black and white here. We do stuff in color over there. Um, I post uh, images from the episodes. I've had some fun with the living doll images of just like 
it just there's some stills from that episode of Talky Tina getting her head in a vice, uh, you know, getting her head trying to get like grinded off with an like a you know that wasn't that table saw. It's been a lot of fun. You guys can check that out. Uh, you guys can email us directly at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail dot com. Um, yeah, and and wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us. That'd be great. And Terry, where, what other social media things uh, do we have? All right. As far as social media is considered, uh, we are on Instagram these days, uh, posting a lot of pictures. Uh, I took a moment and updated a bunch of different things. Um, I will have time to do so again tomorrow with some fun images of this episode that we just discussed. Um, you can find us at strange highways podcast on Instagram. And then, um, uh, we are on Spotify these days and I, I noticed that, uh, Spotify just released their, um, their 2020 year in review. And uh, they do a uh, podcast uh, glimpse on there as well. So um, that's got to do something for our algorithm because um, I noticed that um, our pad podcast was part of my um, my trend. So uh, it let me know how many times I was listening to it, you know, because I want to see where their faults are in my in my game. So, but, yeah, check that out. <laughs> check, uh, check us out on uh, Spotify. Maybe we'll uh, make it into somebody's top four you know I, this coming year i just want to believe that you're just like listening and pacing and like your house and like you're like okay you're like like okay that was cool i said that was cool that was cool i wish paul would just shut up okay now i'm talking to you again it's cool it's cool god damn it paul it's cool it's cool like i want to believe that's what you do no it's more like how many beers did you have at this point when you said this dude <laughs> yeah <I'm laughs> but it's okay <laughs> like it's I almost wish fun. we should post this like these episodes of SoundCloud and then actually do like a time marker showing where beers happen so people could find you know this different <laughs> the different points in which and then this beer opened and then you could see what happened next anyway uh, next episode we'll be covering is called Uncle Simon um, and let uh, Serling uh, tease it here and now Mr. Serling Next on the Twilight Zone, the distinguished Sir Cedric Hardwick lends us his considerable talent along with the very accomplished Miss Constance Ford. They appear on what can most aptly be described as one of the shockers on our schedule. The play is called Uncle Simon. And this we submit as a relative you've never met before. It's a story with a final curtain I doubt anyone can predict. Next on Twilight Zone, Uncle Simon. Oh, Sterling Colony shot about this one being one of the shocker episodes. Guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited. Uh, we got some cool imagery here. I don't want to uh, disclose what I'm seeing, but it yeah. looks like it's going to be so a fun conversation. A, a very a very important celebrity shows up. We'll talk about that when we get there too. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's going to do it for us this week. Hope you guys enjoyed our conversation about the old man in the cave. Next week, Uncle Simon. Have a safe week. Um, you know, be careful. Um, make sure like don't eat any like post bomb food. Um, that's you know. I think that I think that's the best thing to do. Don't anything anything pre bomb might be okay. Um, yeah, I got nothing else. Uh, and feed the old man in the cave's words. See, off Lake Erie, we've got a pack of weirdies up there that bay at the moon once a week. <laughs>